And welcome back in Stripe Show Podcast Monday after the first major championship of the year 2020. The challenging year that it's been, but we got one to the finish line, the 102nd playing of the PGA Championship. And, well, the 23-year-old from Cal, Colin Morikawa, got his first major championship in impressive fashion going 65-64 on the weekend at TPC Harding Park, that golf course, playing that difficult, that long. The kid was uh, outstanding, uh, 65-64 anywhere, but in particularly on TPC Harding Park is uh, very impressive stuff. And uh, I got to thinking, you know, who would be the perfect guest on the Stripe Show podcast that knows a thing or two about San Francisco golf, that knows a thing or two about TPC Harding Park. And uh, Jaime Diaz was the man at the top of the list, Golf Channel analyst. You probably knew him from his work at Golf Digest, Sports Illustrated, New York Times, a guy that uh, got to Golf Channel right after I left during my stint there, um, down there in Orlando, in someone's commentary that I really, really enjoy, uh, particularly all week. Jaime, thanks for joining me here on the on the podcast. Pleasure, Travis. Thanks. Nice being with you. Yeah, you know, TPC Harding Park, you know the, the thing or two about this golf course. As I understand, you grew up right down the road, like two miles from the property. Is that right? Yeah, that's the southwest side of San Francisco in the Ingleside District. Uh, not not to compare myself to him, but same place Johnny Miller grew up. Okay. So I got to ask you, I mean, TPC Harding Park, you've played the course uh, many times. I've never played it. I've been in the area. Beautiful stretch there around Lake Merced. So many great golf courses. Of course, Olympics right there. San Francisco Golf Club um, is right there. But you've played Harding Park. You've seen it over the years. How do you think it held up with the best players in the world? Well, you know, when uh, uh, the decision to come to bring the PGA to Harding Park was made, uh, I was skeptical, just not because I don't really think Harding's a great facility and one of the great public course facilities in the country for, especially for just recreational golfers. And it had some tour, you know, uh, history. The, the Lucky International was played there in the 60s. I used to go to that as a little kid. And it, it held a Charles Schwab. And when they brought the WGC um, uh, Amex in 2005, you had to play off with Tiger and, and John Daly. So President's Cup went very well. But I just wondered, you know, does it have enough architectural features? Does it have this green speeds and the green contours to really hold a classic major? And it wasn't a classic major in the sense of those kind of old style golden age uh, private clubs. But the conditions in San Francisco, the, the heavy air, the moist rough and moist fairways even, and the hard to read greens, um, which is a little underrated and hard to quantify, but it just... Uh, a lot of putts look kind of straight, and you're not really sure which way they're going to go. Um, those are the defenses of the golf course, especially when it gets windy, of course, like any golf course. But I thought Harding held up magnificently. I was, uh, you know, I know 10 under one in 2005 when uh, when Tiger and, and John Daly played, and that was the real unknown. How would Tiger, how would Harding hold up after not having held a tournament in almost 40 years? Um but the game has progressed. The guys are hitting it so much farther. And I wondered, does it have enough of a defense? Because there's no water. It's very little OB. It, it's not a place where you make a lot of doubles uh, under normal circumstances, even, I mean, for good players. And so I thought uh, they might, you know, they might take it apart. And again, Kerry uh, Hay did a great job. They put enough rough in there and they narrowed the fairways enough without making it silly. 
that it did punish bad shots and it did reward good shots. And the players came away from there feeling like this was a fair test, number one, and they enjoyed it. You know, not because they were shooting that low, because they really weren't. I mean, obviously, par 70, 66, 67s are going to fly around a lot. But at the same time, I really thought uh, they enjoyed the major championship atmosphere and challenge. Again, no fans and all that. There were all sorts of things that worked against the the, the normal, uh, you know, uh, atmosphere. But at the same time, when it got to be getting over a golf shot, they really felt like this golf course is is testing me. And and if I'm playing really good, I can separate myself, perhaps. Uh, I don't think it was ideal in the sense that you saw a really bunched leaderboard. And I think part of that is because it wasn't hard enough for the bad shots to really punish um, you know, with doubles and triples, which, which you would see perhaps at a wing foot or something like that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, um, I just thought, gosh, just like Tory Pines and just like Beth Page, it, it really, uh, it, 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 uh, brought itself some glory as one of the great public facilities we have in the country. Yeah. The fairways were, were tight. I mean, just looking at them, you know, from the shots, of course, on the ESPN and CBS and, you know, very difficult fairways they hit. And, you know, I kind of like the rough, um, you know, I like that every once in a while, the rough to be a little patchy where it's not a no-brainer where they have to just hack it out, right? Like the, the traditional U.S. Open that when I was growing up, um, but it kind of enticed them to, to try to hit a shot, right? You saw guys trying to advance it as far as they can down there, and sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. So that kind of stood out for me. Um, I think you made a great comment about about the greens. I it just seemed so many times guys were like, it, it's got to go left and it goes right. You know, like, you know, I know that happens a lot in general, but it felt like, you know, more often than not, there were some, there were some subtleties and things that, you know, that, that they didn't know about that maybe was an advantage to a guy like Colin Morikawa, who's played the golf course a fair amount. He's going to college right down the road there at Cal Berkeley. So, you know, the, the, the greens were subtle, the breaks and, and it really baffled the guys. You could tell, um, from a putting perspective, the other thing that stood out to me, Jaime, mean, was, were the bunkers and, um, they were, they were, they, they seemed a little thin and, um, boy, you know, bunker play was not its best where Charlie Tiger was like, oh, for his first seven Xander on Saturday and Sunday, just hit some, you know, hit some really bizarre shots. Um, out of the green side bunkers. So, uh, I think the greens were, were subtle breaks, the bunkering, you know, they're just enough little things, you know, that, that made the golf course, I think, stand up to the length that these guys hit it. Well, I agree with you, Travis. Uh, all those subtleties af- absolutely added up. The thing about San Francisco golf, and it, you know, it doesn't always show up because sometimes you do have clear, sunny days, but we've got a lot of fog and a lot of wind, uh, relatively speaking, and a lot of cold. And, uh, that is classic San Francisco golf, and that's the golf that, you know, when Byron Nelson came here and played a lot of golf with Eddie Lowry back in the, the 40s and 50s um, because he had a good relationship with Eddie Lowry, who caddied for Francis, we met, of course, but became a very successful car dealer in San Francisco and sponsored a lot of good players, including Ken Venturi. And actually, you know, uh, Lowry was the guy that put uh, Byron Nelson and Venturi together when Venturi was just a, a young, promising player. But Byron said that if you wanted to be a good player, if you were lucky enough, the best location in the country to go play and learn learn to be a good player would have been in San Francisco. And the reason he said that was because the ball doesn't go anywhere in this in the cold air and the cold, wet air, especially. Uh, the ground is 
often moist, even if it's not soggy. It just sort of has a sheen to it from the, all the moisture in the air. And it makes the lies as what Johnny Miller used to call slimy. Hmm. And it, you, you have to make really good contact to put spin on the ball and to have, you know, that pure flight that tour players get so often. Um, as far as the rough, uh, that rough was not really heavy um, in terms of what they could have made it. And I think, you know, that was a decision Kerry Hay made. And, you know, at Olympics, sure, in the 60s and the 50s, that was hack out rough, but it stopped being that as well in the U.S. Open. You, you can play from the rough, but, but, but San Francisco rough's a little heavier. And so even if it was only three and a half to start the week, that was punishing enough to, you know, change shots. However, I will say, I think the strategy, because the golf course doesn't have a lot of OB or water, by most of the bombers was to go ahead and hit it as far as they could. Now, I know Bryson has really set a, a tone here and maybe even a, you know, a new style of play that a lot of guys are following. Tony Finau obviously has talked about that. Um, and Cam Champ also kind of said, you know what? I, I think I liberated myself to go ahead and stop hitting that low bullet cut, which is beautiful to watch, but he let a lot of them go just high and deep. And when he does that, he's another 20 yards longer. Mm. Um, the, the point I'm making is they decided it was worth it to play from the rough. It was, if it was a 140 yard, 130 yard shot to come in with, with a wedge in their hand. Um, and that looked like it was working. It looked like it was kind of dominant. That style was dominating the scoreboard. And, you know, I won't say it's in the, the irony, but in a way, the saving grace of Harding was that it ultimately ended up rewarding Colin Morikawa, who has a really well-rounded game. He's, he's long, but I mean, he's not, he's, he's mid-pack long. So it was more the iron play, the classic, uh, you know, good short game, good course management that the U.S. Open uh, has always mm. sort of rewarded the most. And the PGA has followed suit. So I thought in a way that validated Harding's bones, so to speak, a little bit more than just some a bunch of bombers that just come in and hit a bunch of wedges. Yeah, let's, let's move to Morikawa now, the champion. As I mentioned in the in the opener, 23 years of age. Um, you know, he's got as many majors now as he does missed cuts in his young career. Of course, he comes in with Matthew Wolf. Um, he comes in with Victor Hovland, Sun Jaim, of course, another impressive rookie um, who got off to the best start as a rookie of the year. But I think Colin, at least in my eyes, early... It, the the ceiling as far as in the first year or two seemed higher to me with Colin just from some of the things that you mentioned, the course management, the maturity, and the strokes and approach. I mean, the kid can gobble you up um, with his iron play. Excellent iron player. There, there's a lot of angles, Jaime, you could take with Morikawa and how impressive he is um, mentally, physically, technically. What, what stands out to you as you look at him now 23 years of age, he goes 129 on the weekend. That impresses you the most with him? Well, there's so many things. And I think it's that, you know, uh, accumulative, you know, net total that he puts together that is, is you know, doesn't have many holes in it. But I think the thing, and this is with from Tiger on down, and I see that with Bryson and I see with John Rahm and, and, and JT and all the guys who uh, are at the top of the game, they are relentless improvers. They don't, they do not, uh, you know, kind of settle for a weakness and feel like that's a career long, you know, yoke around my neck in any way. It, it, they try to make it a strength. And, and Colin came out and, and I talked to Steve Desimone, the guy who recruited him at Cal, the old coach who was there 37 years. And he loved Colin as a junior. He had, Colin had a great record, not a great putter. Um, and, uh, not great around the greens either in terms of his, uh, repertoire. I mean, he was, 
obviously good enough to, to win all sorts of junior, and he was extremely successful in college. But he got a little exposed in that regard on tour, and he still, I think, is you know coming into Harding. I think 164 uh, strokes gained putting, which is you know you would say abysmal um, for someone uh, of his other gifts. But and you know when he missed that putt at and you, I'm sure you remember at, at Charles Schwab mm-hmm. at Colonial against uh, Daniel Berger in the playoff, and actually had one like a six footer to win on 72nd hole. Didn't hit particularly good putts either time. Um, a lot of people said, "Gee, that's tough luck." You know, you uh, you know, you, sh- you could have won that thing. It's too bad you had bad luck on the green. He goes, "No, no bad luck." You know, I I made bad putts. I thought badly. I learned from that, and I'm going to work on my putting. And and that's what he's done in a pretty short period of time. Now, obviously, it's just one week, but it was major championship uh, pressure, and it held up beautifully. He made a lot of great par saves. Um, the kind of putts that keep rounds going. Mm-hmm. And so I think not so much his putting specifically, but the way he addressed his putting, the way he addressed, you know, how to make himself a more complete player. I think that's just a relentless drive that is, you know, and he enjoys. It's not like he's grinding like this is tortured. It's more like, God, it's so exciting to just continue to get better and, and you know, sort of try to solve the mysteries of this game. Mm-hmm. I also love, you know, the, the and you're a swing expert, but I, I – so I'll defer to you, but and I know he plays a slightly with a slightly shut position at the top there, which honestly a lot of great players at the moment, like Rom and, and DJ others, mm-hmm. and there might actually be an advantage to that. Who knows biomechanically, or at least holding the club square through the ball. Uh, but his rhythm and balance, and the way the beautiful clearance of his hips going through the ball, it's just so it's almost Hogan like. It's really the classic iron player that I think, in a way, that is. The guys who win the majors, he's built for majors. I guess in a sentence, I would say that's what impresses me most about him is that he's, his game is built to deal with the hardest conditions because he, he does the things that are most important to dealing with, um, the highest challenge of golf. Yeah. Uh, which is ball control, basically. And that's, that's what I love about him. And I, but I also love his mind and his attitude. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, when you look at his putting, he, um, I talked to his coach, Rick Sessinghow. He was on the podcast about a month ago. I reached out to him and we had a really, um, great conversation. And, um, it's, it's one of the better podcasts that, that we've done as far as performance. And I'll get to that a little bit later, but I, I wanted to back to his putting. He, you know, he, he really struggles on Bermuda. That seems to be the, the, the surface that gets him the most. He, he's much better on bent, which of course, um, you know, TPC Harding Park is, but I think what, what really stands out to me is, is at the 20, 23 years of age, I mean, he situationally, you put him in the moment. I mean, he is intense. I mean, he, he's got that killer mentality already big shots down the stretch. I mean, these are the things that we see players like a Tony Finau, they struggle with, right? Where Morikawa has already got, he birdies for the last five Barracuda to win. Um, you know, he makes the big putt right after JT to at the workday to win. Although JT, I think more than likely should have won that golf tournament. He didn't. Um, and Morikawa makes the putt to match him in the playoff. But the pitch on 14, of course, on Sunday, that was a brilliant shot. The drive. Yes, it was. It went in perfect oh, speed. Yeah. The drive on mm-hmm. 16, brilliant. And I thought the drive on 18, I mean, 314 down the middle in those conditions, late, cold. You know, you're going to win the PGA, just steps up and rips it. Probably one of his longest drives of the day. So it's just, 
situationally, the kid's got it. I mean, he just, he, he likes the moment. We see a lot of players fold in the moment. And, you know, he's got the skill set to do it. And he, he's going to win a lot because, frankly, he's just, he's not afraid to win. He's got, he kind of reminds me of JT a little bit from that standpoint. Yeah, JT is a more dynamic player as far as, you know, creating uh, opportunities with his power. And he goes after it so hard. That's a, a great art and skill in itself. Uh, Collins built more along the classic, you know, uh, uh, traditional champion lines, almost pre, you know, power era, which it's just cool to see. Uh, he's highly intelligent. Yeah. And I think he's really smart about analyzing himself, knowing himself. I always found that with Tiger. Tiger, you know, was, I think what he liked the most almost was figuring it out. Yeah. You know, fi- figuring out the challenge. I think Colin is, you know, I don't know Rick. Uh, he's obviously a, done an incredible job and, and, and Colin speaks very highly of him. Um, but you know, he understands the, the synergy of the body and mind, uh, Colin, you know, you can have the greatest swing and, and if, if you, if you don't know how to address the moment, which is probably the hardest thing in, in, in golf, yeah. uh, you know, get yourself to the, to the optimum point when it matters most. I mean, that's Tiger Woods and that's very few players. And Colin may have that, uh, ability. Uh, certainly right now he's, he's building towards it. I mean, the game gets harder as sometimes the expectations grow and you get older and the failures start to inevitably, you know, mount up. It's harder sure. to maintain that, but, but man, has he got a great foundation? <laughs> well, one of the things that, that stood out conversation I had with Rick Sessinghouse, who's Colin Morikawa's uh, swing coach and mental coach has been since the age of eight. There were a number of things. One is, he, they never used TrackMan until, or, or a launch monitor until Colin was in college. That really, huh. that really kind of took me by surprise. Um, you know, the second is when I listen to Rick speak and you listen to Morikawa speak, you know, you just kind of get the idea that, you know, they just kind of keep things in front of them. The picture's very clear. They don't have all the answers. They're not going to claim to have all the answers. Um, but they know what works, what doesn't work, and they're just going to learn as they go. And we're just going to keep things, you know, achievable in front of us and one step at a time. And, you know, Rick kind of mentioned, I brought up the putting on Bermuda, and he was like, you know, it's something that we're aware of and that we're just going to continue to address it and improve and incrementally just kind of go about it and just keep it in front of us. It's, it's not a huge issue. We know we do a lot of things well, and there's always opportunities but there's never any panic, even after the miss um, in losing to Berger down in Texas. Um, it was a learning opportunity. They clearly already learned from it. It's just a great, healthy approach. Um, one that's not over, I don't think, overcoached from Rick's standpoint. And uh, one that's driven and owned by the player's standpoint, who is Colin Marcawa. So it, uh, Rick's done just a fabulous job. It's a, it was a wonderful podcast. If you, if you have time, I'd, I'd, I'd go out there and listen to it because they really are a great, great dynamic, uh, duo. And Morikawa is going to be around for a long, long time. And frankly, I'm glad. I love the kid. Beautiful smile. Looks like he has fun out there. The intensity. He's just solid. You know, I mean, that's the word I keep coming to. He's just a solid player out there. And that game's going to travel to a lot of venues and major championships. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team 
in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs. Use of high-density particles and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. So I want, I want to switch conversations here. Guy that knows a thing or two about um, major championships. Uh, not his best day on Sunday, but Kepka, Brooks Kepka, you know, he's in the headlines. Um, you know, he, he's the jock, right, of the uh, of the PGA Tour. And, you know, some quotes here that I'll start this conversation with. Um, after Saturday, he had some things to say, Brooks did, going into Sunday, where he was only two shots back. And he said, quote, a lot of guys on the leaderboard. I don't think I have um, – when I guess I guess DJ has only has only won one major championship, but I don't know about the other guys um, that are up there. DJ has been in the spot a couple times, and he hasn't been able to capitalize. And in, at least in my view, um, Jaime, you know, I, I think it's fair to say a direct shot at DJ. You know, someone who uh, took Brooks under his wing to some degree when Brooks was up and coming, and Brooks now as he's standing on his own two feet and playing well, and clearly one of the best players in the world has a lot to say about a lot of things. I think it comes across a bit arrogant. It gets people, I think, off guard a little bit. But when you when you add all this up with Brooks, how does this how is this landing for you and this approach that Kepka seems to be taking in the media with his words directed at other players? Well I think it's part of the, you know, the new profile that that I think celebrities and great athletes uh, are tempted to take, which is, you know, to be, you know, the uh, the source of controversy and the source of, uh, you know, quote unquote, you know, interesting topics and, and hot takes and all those things that, you know, obviously the media, as it has evolved, uh, encourages. I do think it, it clashes a bit with golf uh, because, uh, well, I mean, just for the simplest cliche, which is very true, <laughs> you know, golf will humble you. And I think trying to get out in front of golf and act like you've got it, I won't say figured out, but certainly that you have some kind of advantage because you're tougher or you you know, you can kind of gloat about your record, which Brooks definitely in- inwardly, I think, absolutely should. But I think when you talk about it outwardly, it ends up putting pressure on you to have to deliver and back it up. And I, I think I don't know this, of course, but and Brooks is a tough guy and, you know, maybe as tough a uh, mentally, uh, certainly in winning these four majors as anyone since Tiger. Uh, but, you know, I feel like it might have been baggage for him uh, yesterday especially when it started to go a little south on the front nine. It's like, oh, now I talk, you know, like I, you know, can handle this better than anybody else, and I'm not handling it right now. And that's not necessarily because he's mentally weak. It's just golf sometimes. And so I think leaving room for golf to just sometimes just not go well is a more uh, – is a wiser course uh, for any player, especially during a tournament in terms of the words you say. I mean, Tiger, you know – Tiger is an intense competitor, and, and certainly some people thought, you know, God, that guy thinks he's, you know, the greatest player who ever lived. Well, he may be, but he never talked it. You know, he let the clubs do the talking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jack did, too, uh, obviously, and there was a graciousness about it that almost deferred to the game. It's like, look, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to 
try to play one shot at a time and I hope it goes my way. And, you know, it's almost a fatalism that I think is people can relate to because golf's the hardest game of all probably to control. I mean, the ball's the smallest, the club's the longest and got the smallest head and the ball has to be hit at a target that's farther away than any other sport. So a lot can happen and acting like, well, I've done this and I'm the toughest and I got the four majors to prove it. I don't know. I think you're tempting fate. Yeah. And so I, I, that's all. I mean, I, I, I like Brooks and, and he, he can be funny. Uh, you know, he's from a different generation than I am. So I accept that. And, and sometimes uh, I, I didn't particularly like when he joked about Bryson's, uh, you know, uh, physical transformation with sort of this, you know, uh, you know, unspoken suggestion that it might be performance uh, uh, enhanced, uh, you know, by PEDs. Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of, it was funny the way he put it. I think he used a meme. But now you're talking about something that's reputational in golf. You know, the idea of anybody cheating, certainly with the rules, but of course, also with anything that's having to do with WADA or any any of the other things that have really you know ruined careers like Lance Armstrong's and anybody else's. You know, Ben Johnson all the way down. I don't think you should cast any any sort of even subtle suspicions toward that without any real evidence. So all I'm saying is I think he's in a sphere where you know, it's risky to be uh, a really, um, you know, again, hot take golfer because golf will come back and bite you so often. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of expect he'll tone it down uh, in the future about that. Not a lot, but just enough so that it's not, it, 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 you know, he, he didn't look good yesterday when he no. played bad, you know, you know, and, and, and if he had played bad without saying anything, he wouldn't have looked at it. Yeah. So, you know, give yourself some room to fail in golf because it's going to happen a yeah, lot. It just takes a lot of energy then when you're putting out those kind of uh, headlines, and it's going to motivate these other players. I mean, it's not like these guys can't yeah, play. Yeah, I, I can imagine. You know, people take talk about DJ like he's obliv oblivious. He's not. No. You know, and uh, you know he came out there and played with a lot of determination yesterday. I, yeah. He didn't win, but I, I thought he played very. Yeah, well. he was focused. I mean, DJ was focused. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he he did lose his yardage book after. <laughs> well, he had a backup <laughs> after round two. I mean, I love Dustin Johnson. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, DJ's DJ and I love Pete DJ and I thought he was, I thought he was focused, man. He was reading those greens, like, you know, no one's business. He was spending a lot of time. He was grinding. I love it when he's engaged, um, like that. But, um, yeah, I think Brooks has got to be careful here a little bit. You know, Rory certainly stood up in which, you know, Rory has a way with words and, and I think kind of the moral compass and, you know, you, you look at his responses and he says, quote, I wouldn't disrespect you, someone who has 21 PGA Tour wins, which is three times uh, what <laughs> Brooks has. And, um, you know, Rory was, I think, a little bit uh, PO'd for sure. And, um, you know, it's one thing I think about someone was sending me a note yesterday. And they were like, this is what Jordan used to do. And I was like, you know. Jordan. No, he didn't. No. He didn't do that. Like, he did not do I was that. Like, no, I was like, when you watch Michael Jordan and you you watch The Last Dance, and there's just so many epic stories of Jordan walking into someone and saying, "I'm going to drop sixty on you tonight." And I mean, Jordan's going into the locker room, and he's making it, you know, this thing with the player, right, or with the team, not in the not in the media, not in the media. Not in the media. Yeah, yeah, there's a big difference yeah. there. And I think with Brooks, um, I think players are going to. You know, I think they're already probably losing some respect a little bit when you go to the media and you start throwing that kind of uh, language around because it's going to humble him. And it did on Sunday, shot 74. He didn't look good at all. And I think uh, he may have uh, finally wrote a check that uh, he, 
he's not going to be able to pick that. So we'll see. Um, a little surprised he's going out to the Wyndham um, this week. We'll see how he uh, rebounds. Yeah, I, you know, it's. I don't. Uh, I, I think it's a blip. Uh, you know, Brooks is is a smart guy, and uh, you know, I think he he honestly felt like, look, this is team sports. I mean, this is this is sports, big time sports, and 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 uh, maybe you know he's experimenting with his weapons a little bit in terms of you know what are the psychological uh, you know. Uh, what is the psychological warfare here? And, and, and maybe take it to the, to the public sphere a little bit. And maybe that's, maybe he thought, you know what, I'm not going to be afraid to do it. I, maybe that's an, an, as the game progresses on the course, maybe it progresses in the mind as well. Yeah. And this, this is a new way to do it, but I don't know. I think just, you know, in the end golf sort of wins and uh, <laughs> no one's ever figured it out to the extent that you can, you know, you can talk it and do it every time. You just know? ask Martin yeah. Keimer, right? Golf is going to win. Yeah. 66 yeah. on Thursday, 81 on Friday. Yeah. You don't know how many times I hear from, you know, students, gosh, I'm just so inconsistent. I'm like, well, why do you say you're inconsistent? And they're like, well, you know, I shot 80 and then I shot 86 and then I shot 77. I'm like, that's not inconsistent. <laughs> that, that's not it. Well, well said. Oh my God. It, look at poor Lydia Ko yesterday. Uh, that was so sad. You know, and I didn't, I didn't get a chance to watch it. I read about it. I was, and I was really rooting for her. I got to say, because she's, you know, she was so great, and you hate to see at a young age that go away. And I hope she recaptured it still. But you know, those are such wounding mm. events. But I mean, here she is, you know, uh, a great player with a great short game, and those, that's the best part of her game—a short game and her putter. And it failed her in the clutch, and that's when you know somebody who says, "God, I shot seventy-six and I shot 82. I mean, put yourself in the arena, and that seventy-six might turn into a ninety-six. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. it's, I mean, the mental. The mental pressure can change the game so much. Uh, nobody's ever become machine-like in golf. I mean, Hogan tried, and and was, and we revere him because he came close. Yeah, you know. But he had uh, Dustin T two with uh, Paul Casey, who you know, speaking of inconsistent, almost went from last to first uh, in just a week's time. He finally just found some form with his putter. He's a ball striking machine, but finally uh, got the putter going. But you go down to T four, and um, you've got a you've got a group of five guys there. Um, you know, Bryson, who I want to talk, I want to ask you about here in a second, got his first top 10 in a major. Matthew Wolf, who, who is starting to show some consistency now, but I think with yeah. his ball striking. Jason Day fires his coach and all of a sudden is on fire. Um, Tony Finau, you know, right there once again. And then I think Scheffler took a big step forward with his career. But Bryson DeChambeau, it's captivating, Jaime. I, I got to tell you, it, it's it's very strange to watch Jason Day played number 10 on Sunday, go driver five wood, and then Bryson comes around about an hour later and goes driver eight iron over the green. I mean, that's just, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. It's hard to comprehend how far he's hitting it, but it's, it's real, it's spectacular, and it's, it's not going anywhere. I think he's going to take it to the point where he realizes that, you know, data wise, uh, analytically, whatever, it starts to become counterproductive and it's not i don't think it's there by a long shot probably what's the only thing that's really holding him back now is you know probably the attention he's had to take away from his shorter shots and his wedges uh you know to develop this this body obviously and the and the biomechanics and all the experimentation to get the equipment right to get this kind of distance but i applaud him i applaud him as a great pioneer as a great experimenter as a great uh you know, honestly, uh, adventurer, because, you know, this is scary. I mean, not scary, but I mean, it's certainly, we've seen people make swing changes to gain five yards and lose their whole career. 
you know, yeah. and, and lose their whole game. Yeah. So it's re- it's really brave. And and I and I and I the amount of work and the determination and and dedication that he's shown can only be admired. And you know where he's taking the game. Who knows if it's just Bryson alone who's going to go there? But I think there, and it already has been. But I, I think there will be a sustained following here. And it's going to raise all boats as far as distance in general. I, I think anybody who knows they have an advantage with power will say, let's get more of it. Now, someone like Morikawa may feel like, man, I, I can win from the fairway. So I don't, I don't want to chase 10 more yards. That's not going to make me super long anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think everybody will make individual decisions, but I thought what Bryson played with great passion and great, uh, focus this week because I think he, in some ways, you know, he does, it's not just about him in his mind. I mean, in terms of his game, he wants to be someone who changes the game. He wants to do something that popularizes the game. I mean, he's, he's taken on this apostle role, uh, which is extra baggage, but it's, it makes him, it makes him really interesting. Yeah. And, and so he knew that if he played badly at a, at a major again, or I say badly, he hit his best before this was T15, uh, you know, it would perhaps discredit, uh, the whole, um, I guess, uh, effort that he's made. Uh, and, and so he had something to prove in that regard. But, you know, he he controls his golf ball with that much speed and that much distance beautifully. Yeah. And, I mean, he, he put this together on a major championship course, and he, he finished third. And, and you know, he didn't throw too many away. I, I think what's lacking more than anything is just the, you know, the uh, – Art, artistry, whatever word you want yeah. to use, you know, just the, the flexibility and the and the versatility around the greens. He just doesn't have, I think, partly because, and this is just me, but you know, having a six iron length wedge, you know, I, I think it's harder to do things with that club uh, with with funny lies and and uh, you know, just improvising around the greens like an artist, which you have to do, especially out of the rough to fast greens. And he doesn't seem to have those shots to the same extent as as a more well, I say more coward. Obviously, that shot on 14 was perfect. But Tiger, you watch Tiger, and it's almost like, okay, that's the way you're supposed to do it uh, when you're around the green with all kinds of different flex. And, of course, Tiger had his issues with the short game, but he's still the master of, of, of uh, you know, all the different ways of play shots. Yeah. So I guess, in short, I would just say Bryson, I think, did himself proud and uh, gained respect for what he's doing. And, you know, yeah, you know, Someone wound that tight and someone that that driven and motivated sometimes will come off in the public sphere is not the most likable. But I like Bryson uh, and I respect his effort. Yeah, uh, I think he I think he's doing something that is it's going to create, I think, if not say a crisis, but it's going to create a tipping point for the regulatory bodies, you know, for, for the for the rules makers. And, you know, we'll see what happens. That's a very complicated subject. But obviously, the. Uh, the USJ has, you know, their distance survey that they're, they're working on. And the RNA uh, slumbers is talking a little more even, you know, uh, openly than than uh, the USGA people. Mm-hmm. So so Bryson's pushing the envelope in a way that is making golf really assess itself. And I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I love the characters of the game. You know, I really do. And, and you don't have to agree with the way they go about it. But I, I like the characters. I think it's been... I think it's been really good, you know, for the sport. Golf is center stage right now, and I think these characters that we have um, have helped move the game forward. And and Bryson is is right there um, at the tipping point of from the distance standpoint and what he's doing. And you know, Brooks from 
this jock athletic approach, like almost like an MAA fighter, you know, at the press conference talking yeah. smack to his opponent. And, yeah. and, and then, um, you know, and then you've kind of got, you know, Rory as kind of the president, <laughs> you know, you know and, and to, to some degree. And then JT's got his own gig and his intensity. And, and then you've got all this young talent just bubbling up and, um, with, with guys in their mid to late thirties, still playing good golf like Jason day. And then of course, you know, I mean, Tiger's the, is the man, right. Still. So it, it's just, it's funny to kind of all watch it and um, the characters and see how they're all going about their craft and trying to find their way. And, but yet I think you have to be careful. You're not taking on too much because you're going to expose a lot of unnecessary energy. And, and um, so it's just going to be fascinating here as we look ahead here, win them. And then we roll into the uh, playoffs and, uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned Tiger. Uh, he was T37. Uh, he, he, seemed, he seemed to be moving very well. I was a little concerned with the cold, um, how he would be moving. But, um, you know, he was right there. I, I think with Tiger, you know, I, I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks. I'm not even worried about his driver anymore, Jaime. Um, I yeah. think his driver's under control. He's one of the best iron players of all time. I, I just think it flat out comes down to the putter. Um, I was frankly surprised surprised that he changed putters and it wasn't only a, a a different weight but it was longer and i don't think it worked out he made some putts late you know on sunday but but i, I don't think it really panned out for him he didn't putt great he didn't look comfortable as reads i just think it comes down to the putter now i mean obviously he's got a feel good that's first and foremost health wise but i think it just comes down to the flat stick on whether tiger's going to be relevant when he plays yeah travis you know i, I don't know i he's such a great I mean, you watch his putty over the years, uh, not just the putts he makes, but, but the, but the technique and the form, it's so relaxed, so classic. I mean, you couldn't really imitate it without just being textbook. It, there's no mannerisms. It's just, you know, perfect. And, and so it's really hard for me to accept the idea that Tiger is declining dramatically as a putter because he doesn't look flinchy at all. I mean, he, everything still looks in control and calm and really, you know, beautiful touch and pace and rhythm and all those things. But, you know, those eight footers that keep around going, especially par putts that he used to super grind on and get in the hole some way, he missed a bunch of them at Harding. And that it basically just became, you know, a runaway train as far as taking him out of contention. And that's unlike him. Uh, and so, you know, hey, he's 44, like you say, that, and, and, you know, at one time the driver seemed like the thing that would determine his fate. And, Okay, he's not super long, but he's he's a very good driver again. Yeah, and he and he's a great iron player. And and but you know you got to capitalize, and nobody was better at capitalizing than him. I'm going to still say it's a short sample. Yeah, uh, uh, a small sample, I should say. And and I'm not I'm not going to go to the point where I think I agree with you. It is the putter, like it always is. But I don't think he's in necessarily decline. I know he is statistically. There's no question. Uh, but I just feel like punting is mental, and no one's stronger mentally than Tiger. Yeah, and uh, I still think he can do it, but I, I was, I will say it, it, it did, you know, was a little alarming to see him come to a major having, you know, pretty much, you know, uh, focused his whole schedule to be ready at Harding and then putt like that. Uh, you know, it was just not, uh, tiger-like and, and, you know, I, he talked about the speed. He tends, he tends to talk about the speed when he doesn't putt well. I, I, you know, I think. There was something, you know, mentally he, he lost confidence somehow. And so, uh, 
that I'm going to just say, let's, let's see. Yeah. Let's, I think Wingfoot, you know, that'll offer other issues when he gets to Wingfoot as far as the, the muscularity of the course. He'll have to be on point tee to green. But Augusta's going to be, to me, I think, the judgment point. If he, if he cuts poorly at Augusta again, I say again, obviously he didn't do that last year. But, I mean, if this trend continues, I think we might be seeing something that uh, is, is in decline. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, you know, we're, we're going to have, we're going to, I mean, Tiger's historically too great of a putter. You know, he's going to have his, his good weeks. Um, I've always felt, just very quickly, when he gets in the heat, and, and he wasn't obviously in Harding, but he got in the heat obviously at, at Augusta last year, and he put it, then, he, then it's like, okay, yeah. it was like Jack in 86. It's like it all kicked yeah. in, all the focus, all the skill, and he actually raised his game to the moment. Yeah. And and that's what I kind of expect from him. Maybe we've been spoiled or I've been spoiled <laughs> or whatever, but uh, uh, until that it really becomes like a succession of events where he doesn't do that, especially majors. Then, then I still pulled out uh, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Tiger, you know, in the hunt is scary. I mean, 80, 82 wins, yeah. um, you know, another guy that was T 37, Justin Thomas, you know, he's got 13 wins in the hunt. You know, he, he's, I think JT, you know, he, he's, he's going to gobble you up strokes game, you know, um, approach. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. it comes down to the flat stick for him. I think, you know, I agree with yeah. that more. Yeah, I, I think the flat stick has not was not natural to him like it was a Tiger uh, as a as a teenager. As good as he was, he he outball struck struck people mostly. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, to be the very very best, the putter has to be elite. Yep. Absolutely, Rory uh, was thirty third. You know, he's kind of as he said. I think he hit it on the head. It's kind of stuck in neutral. I thought that was you know, Rory's just got such great perspective and. Um, He's going to get it going here. I'm not. I'm not worried about Rory, but I'll tell you who I am worried about. And I want to. I want to ask you about this before I ask you a quick question about Sedgefield. Um, you know, the guy that is not finding me a speech, um, Jaime, and I've been saying this for a while. I, I this is this is going on now. Um, you know, a long time, and you know, he's got six top tens in the last two years. Um, you know, we we know his putting has come back some. His short game's come back. Uh, you know, he's incrementally has shown um, some growth, I think, from a stroke and approach standpoint, but his driver continues to be a wreck. I tell you, it really hit me on Saturday, Jaime, when he played with JT, just how far he's fallen. Um, there's a huge yeah. gap. I mean, there's a huge gap now between the level of play you're seeing with Justin Thomas and these guys that we've been talking about in, in Jordan's speed. Are, are you surprised that he hasn't made a change and, and has done something different? Um, you know, because of the relationship he has with Cameron, uh, I think it's awfully difficult, you know, to, uh, to not get that every chance. And I have no idea on the inside, of course, about that. Uh, but, you know, and I just, again, intuitive thing about Jordan, he's such a decent guy and wants to do the right thing and is loyal and, uh, also I think is accountable. In other words, I, I don't think he's blaming anybody right now except other than himself. Um, I think he just wants to see if, you know, with every opportunity possible, if he can do this and pull it out of himself mm -hmm. more than anything. Um, and I don't know how much it is about, you know, uh, you're a teacher. I don't know how much it is about the, the models and the, uh, and the principles that, that he's learned with Cameron. Um, it, 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 uh, you know, it, it may all be, emotional yeah. and mental. Uh, yeah. We don't know. And so I, I, 
I, I, you know, kind of defer to him as to the judgment, but wow, you know, but we've seen it before. We've seen great players in, at a young age lose it. Uh, you know, the names, uh, you know, David Duvall, you know, was, was so great in, in 99. And by 2002, he was, you know, uh, lost. And, you know, and not to pick on David, of course, but I mean, I've never seen a guy be that good and fall that fast. Um, but it can happen because golf is just so fragile. So, you know, we were, you know, everybody says, Hey, Jordan's too good. He's too smart. He's, he's too competitive. He wants it too badly to, to fall. Well, so many who have fallen have had a lot of those attributes. Um, so I'm not suggesting he's going to, uh, but I'm saying it is a crisis. I, I do think it is, it is, it is a crisis in terms of a career mm-hmm. crisis. And, you know, we all kind of look at Lydia Ko again. I bring her up. I, I'm so sorry, you know, to not yeah. pick on her, but just to, you know, that, that, that real, you know, um, uh, battering ram of reality sometimes you just can't ignore it. And, and, and golf is, it, it, it throws those kinds of huge, you know, uh, moments at people in, in their careers. And, there's just no guarantees. It it, it it can go away. So uh I don't know what to say, except uh it is it is something the thing about golf though, you know, and you know it's better than I when you have it, it you know it it it, it you you feel bullet not me, but I mean these guys can feel bulletproof and and when you lose it you can be completely yeah. helpless. And it's not that big a difference between the two. So, you know, I, I still feel like Jordan could just find it, could just suddenly find it and and go on a very extended climb back. Uh, it just hasn't happened. I think he's given himself that chance. We're in an odd time anyway because of the pandemic. So I think he can buy some time this year and use it almost as, again, some kind of self-discovery moment. And he's got he, – it gives him, in, in an odd way, uh, a respite from all the scrutiny and all the pressure and just yeah. go find it. You go into the desert for 40 days or whatever and figure it out. Because I think in a way, I remember talking to Scott Plank about that, you know, uh, who who found it and lost it and found it again. What a gritty guy. And, you know, he didn't quite have the talent of, you know, perhaps a Jordan, but he was really, really good. He won the U.S. Amateur and won a pro tournament as an amateur. So he was a prodigy. And he said, you just got to pull it out of your innards. Uh, and I'll never forget it because, you know, he was talking from experience. And it just... Uh, no easy way, but I think Jordan has the character to do that. Yeah, you know, he still has the 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 genius in him to score. I mean, I, I'm just no, no. You're, I know yeah. you're talking about you know just just the, the you know the concrete yeah. details of his game. And, and you, he's right now he's probably scoring pretty well with what he's got. <laughs> he's, just, that's, he's amazing. That, that's yeah. the point. I think he hadn't got enough <laughs> game right now. And, yeah, you know, it's amazing, yeah. really. I mean, you watch him and where he's hitting it off the tee, and and yet he he pops up once in a while in the lead. I just like the guy is a genius golfer. You know, like he knows. Yes, and that's why we all we want to see that yeah. genius. And you know, he knows how yeah. to score. So I I I remain optimistic. I I do think it's time, at least in my opinion, on you know. I just think a, a fresh set of eyes um, perspective mm-hmm. would do him good, and that's no shot. Please, please believe me on that. No, yeah, I understand. Uh, Cameron McCormick. I, I, I think Cameron's one of the best teachers in the game, um, and has had. I always liked the way Tom Kite handled it back. You know, back in the year, he listened to everybody, and then he used his own yeah. filter. I mean, he, and I think that's healthy if you can 
if you can not be too suggestive and just try everything, you know, to a counterproductive yeah. extent. Uh, so listening to others, getting fresh eyes, that's part of being a tour player. You're responsible for your own game, whatever it takes to yeah. get you there. No one should take it personally, yeah. you know? Absolutely. It'll, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. He, the genius is still there. I can see it when he plays. I watch him. I'm a fan. Um, and, um, you know, I hope he finds his way back. I mean, I think, you know, that's another character, right? Um, in this, uh, into this house of cards of, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Speed. Yeah. I don't call- <laughs> I hope it's a, well, you know, it is, you know, being at the very, very top level is kind of a house of cards. It's very fragile. Yeah. Um, all right, before I let you go, um, you got the Wyndham Championship this week. You're, uh, you, you live in North Carolina. The tour, um, just doing a magnificent job here, um, leading the way, professional sports. Uh, they go to Sedgefield, Greensboro there. And then, then we go, then we go top 125, Northern Trust, uh, TBC Boston, and then BMW Tour Champ. Remember, only three playoffs this year but uh, i know you've played sedgefield you know what um any 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 couple parting thoughts on the course we're going to be seeing this week well i think it's great when you know uh these great golden age courses are restored and they are used for tour events i think the one thing you have to uh allow for is the scoring will probably be low uh just because first of all immaculate conditions uh but length you know uh has become uh, so so emphasized by the tour players that it, it, you know it, it just there's just too many and I say too many there's just so many opportunities for birdies on par fives and and short par fours now uh, and the players have figured out a formula when they get a wedge in their hand they realize that's that's the scoring club try to get that within ten feet and your percentages go huge hugely up for for birdie possibilities and with some. Whoever, whatever that 10% that comes into the course, into the tournament hot, those guys just, you know, are, are just going to be firing on, you know, uh, full, full on at the targets and, 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 and shoot some incredible scores. And I, I, I keep waiting for more under 60 kind of scores. Um, you know, I, that's a mental barrier more than a physical barrier. I think, you know, there, the opportunities for that are so much greater than they used to be. Uh, and 61s and 62s don't even, don't even phase us anymore. And I just think that's the new game when you go to an old, an old style golf course. And it, it's charming in its own way. Um, but it's, it can be alarming too if, you know, you, you feel like, uh, you know, where's the, uh, where's the challenge throughout the bag, so to speak? I mean, you're not seeing anybody hitting four irons into par fours on right, this kind of course. Right. Uh, which yeah. is okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great entertainment tour. I know the tour doesn't get very many complaints about, uh, gosh, they're hitting it too far and, and scoring too low. Uh, the, the, they know that the, the main audience yeah. loves that. And going to Sedgefield, a beautiful spot. The aerials are incredible. A lot of history. Sam Snead, the whole thing. It all makes for a great entertainment yeah. package. So I think uh, on tour events, week to week, that's probably a better model yeah. than anything else. Well, nine of the top 30 are there. Um, you know, Kepka's playing. Uh, Webb Simpson has... Terrific track record there. Uh, finished second the last two years. Won it in eleven. Justin Rose. He, by the way, Webb Simpson is the uh, under the radar forerunner of Colin Morikawa. You know, I, I really feel like uh, he, he gets underrated for oh, how well rounded he is. He is. Yeah. He yeah. is amazing. And mm-hmm. and 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 another in a good team. Him and his his uh, caddy there, Paul Tosori. But uh, Justin Rose is there. Reed Fleetwood. Answer him, Casey. 
And then uh, interesting, Shane Lowry in the top 30, 131 in the FedEx. So he's got some work to do um, to get inside that top 125. It's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, you know, golf is center stage. We're not quite football. If they're going to play football, it sounds like they are. But um, it's been fun to watch. You know, the, the speaking of not getting enough credit, I don't think the PJ Tour is getting enough credit for the job that they're doing um, out there with this bubble and keeping these guys safe and their caddies and all the volunteers. And I mean, it's been, it's been needed. I got to tell you, you know, it's been a challenging year and to sit back and watch golf on TV and the PGA championship at TPC Harding park. I just, you know, I just thank them for the job they're doing. And um, uh, it's cool to see the sport kind of thriving, I guess, right now um, in some ways, you know, during this pandemic, which is, unfortunate um to say the least but golf um i don't know golf is kind of a silver lining in to some regards in, in what we're going through right now in the country and when you say you know i think among the the uh, heads of, of other sports um and and other athletes for that matter professional golf uh, is getting a lot of respect for you know the uh the rigor and the uh the great leadership of Joy Jay Monahan and, and, and make, you know, there were no, no positive tests yeah. at Harding Park. Yeah. Uh, you know, something is, is, uh, being accomplished yep. here that obviously is helping golf, but it's also probably helping sports in terms of an example. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Jaime, I appreciate, uh, you jumping on. I'm a huge fan. Uh, love watching you on golf channel and I uh, can't thank you enough. Pleasure, Travis. It was great. And I'll, I'll listen. I, I'm looking forward to listen to uh, Rick Please Sessinghouse's, do. uh, yeah, uh, a podcast because we all want to learn as much as we can now. Yeah, you would, uh, so you, thank you would learn a lot, and um, it's uh, it's 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 really interesting to see how these guys have um, gelled together since Colin was eight years old. Yeah, it's a classic mentor situation, and uh, most of the great players have had yeah. somebody like that. So, good all right, Jaime, thanks for joining the podcast, and uh, safe travels back to North Carolina. As the eight-game regular season is coming to an end, teams are still jockeying for the final few playoff spots. And while the players are bringing the action on the course, DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is bringing the action to you with huge daily fantasy contests every day. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players, so they know a thing or two about a big payday. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy basketball is easy to play. Just pick a player, stand in the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. There's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a share of millions of dollars. In addition to this week's basketball action, there is a huge MMA contest this weekend with some of the sport's biggest names stepping into the spotlight. To celebrate this huge event, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at $1 million in total prizes. Download the DraftKings app now and use the promo code Travis to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes for this week's daily fantasy contest. That's promo code Travis to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details.